Hello again. Uh, Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 4. We're going to read from Romans um, something that involves Abraham. Um, And I recognize I'm really trying hard to confuse you this morning because the painting is about Moses and the story is about Abraham. And so often these two men's names get substituted for each other. And I realize I'm not helping that problem this morning. So I apologize. Um, We're looking at Romans chapter 4. I've shortened the text just a little bit. We're going to actually start reading at verse 18. The words will be projected on the screen for you. Uh, so during Lent, we're doing this sermon series uh, called Letters for Lent, where we're looking at the lectionary epistle texts uh, in the New Testament letters, and we're using these letters, which were, meant, uh, which were written as encouragements to the church, we're using them to encourage one another. And also, we're using these services as opportunities um, to write our own letters of encouragement, and I'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the sermon this morning. So Romans 4 beginning at verse 18 through verse 25. Listen to God's word. Against all hope, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding, regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words, it was credited to him, were written, not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. The word of the Lord. So Romans is a letter uh, that we actually studied For a few weeks this past summer, we called it the Gospel According to Paul. And this letter was written by Paul to this church in Rome, explaining to them how their salvation works and what their salvation was for. Maybe you remember me saying that this summer, or maybe not. How their salvation works and what their salvation was for. And so as he's writing this letter on that topic, he's also writing these few verses in here about Abraham and about Abraham's faith. Now, um, the, the authors of the New Testament, the, the people who wrote the letters in the New Testament, like Paul and Peter and the author of Hebrews, who we don't know who that is, they liked to point to Abraham and say, here's a guy who had amazing faith. Abraham was a guy that they would point to and they would say, here is an example of what faith looks like. And one of the reasons they would do that is because Abraham was really the first example of what faith looked like. He was the first case study in the life of faith. He was was example 1A. So if you look at the book of Genesis, 
Um, it's kind of interesting. The book of Genesis begins with the, the first 11 chapters are kind of a false start. In the first 11 chapters, you first have the creation, which is really great. Then you have the fall, which was really not great. And then you have the story of Noah and the flood, which kind of washed away and started over this book of Genesis with chapter 12. Chapter 12 in Genesis is this great restart, and that's where we meet Abraham. So it's this kind of restart to the whole thing. So Abraham is really the very first person after this initial restart to, have, to be a person of faith, to live in a covenant relationship with God. So God came to Abraham and he told him, you, we're starting with you. You will be the father of my people. You will be the first member of our spiritual family. You will be the first of many millions in covenant relationship with me. It all started with Abraham. He was the first example of what faith looks like. So that's one of the reasons why these New Testament writers point to Abraham as an example of faith. Not only because he was the first one, but also because he did some pretty impressive things with his faith. He exhibited some pretty amazing faith at times. Maybe you know the story. Uh, in Genesis 12, out of nowhere, having never spoken a word to him before, God spoke to Abraham and he told him to leave the only place that he ever knew and to go to a place that he had never heard of, and Abraham did. Like, in the moment, he decided and he did it. Incredible faith. He took all of his things, including his wife, who must have been full of questions, and walked away. Incredible faith because of a voice in his head. Then at the age of uh, 75, God told Abraham, who was childless at the time, that one day he would give Abraham a son, and uh, Abraham believed God as a 75-year-old man. He believed God that he would give him a son. He had incredible faith. Then in Genesis 17, 24 years later, Abraham was 99 years old, and he still did not have this son that, he promised, that God promised him. Uh, and not only was the clock really ticking <laughs> on that promise as a 99-year-old, um, but in this story, in, in uh, uh, Genesis 17, God told Abraham, who was in the middle of trying to have a, a child with his wife, he told Abraham to circumcise himself. Talk about counterproductive and an overall bummer. And he did it. Incredible faith. Incredible faith in the God that spoke to him. Genesis chapter 22. Um, God finally gave Abraham and Sarah this son that he had promised them. And his name was Isaac and he was this beautiful boy. But then, in this really weird story, which I'll be honest, is probably my least favorite in the whole Bible, God tells Abraham to take his boy on the top of a mountain and, and to sacrifice him. And this made no sense whatsoever. And it was exactly the opposite of the trajectory that God was leading Abraham on. And yet Abraham gathered his things and he gathered his son and he walked to the top of the mountain. He was prepared to sacrifice his son until God stopped him. Whoa. I mean, incredible faith. So in our text, 
Uh, Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is recalling all of these things about Abraham, right? All of these things. Uh, and he says in verse 22, he's, he's, all of these things were credited to Abraham as righteousness. They were credited to Abraham as righteousness, which is just a fancy way of saying all of these great acts of faith were, were tallies in the wind column for Abraham. These were all things that were calculated in his favor. They were credited to Abraham as righteousness. Abraham was a man of great faith. Or was he? Some of you are like, yeah, I've read the story of Abraham. And you're picking and choosing a little bit, Stefan. Some of you are like, yeah, I've read the whole story of Abraham, and it is not so squeaky clean. You know, if you're going to pick and choose the stories from the life of Abraham, it is really easy to construct a facade that makes him look like a man of incredible faith. But he was not all the time. In fact, sometimes he looked like a man of no faith. Or worse. Let's deconstruct the faith of Abraham for a second, shall we? We said how in Genesis 12, out of nowhere, uh, uh, God spoke to Abraham and he said, hey, pick up all your stuff and move to this other place. Well, the very first place that they stopped, Abraham and Sarah, on their journey was Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, just before they got in there, uh, uh, Abraham said to his wife, Sarah, he said, hey, here's the plan. You are a very beautiful woman. And if we tell people that you're my wife, they're probably going to want to kill me so that they can have you. And so Abraham says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to tell them that you're my sister. That way they'll still have you, but they won't kill me. And that's what happened. They had her. And his life was spared. And the, the Egyptians and Pharaoh found out about this. They found out about Abraham's lie. And so Pharaoh, at the end of the story, says to Abraham, what is wrong with you? This pagan man who has nothing to do, has no covenant relationship with God, says, what is wrong with you? Why wouldn't you tell us that she's your wife? And they move on from there. In Genesis 16, uh, Abraham and Sarah did not have any of the children that they were promised. And so Sarah, in a moment that was not her best, said to Abraham, Hey, Abraham, uh, this promise from God doesn't seem to be coming true. Here, why don't you impregnate my servant girl, Hagar? And Abraham says, Duh, okay. And that's what happened. These are one of, this is one of the stories they skip in the Sunday school curriculum, right? Genesis 17. Uh, uh, so Hagar has her son. His name is Ishmael. Uh, after he is born, God comes back to Abraham and says, no, 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 not Ishmael, not Hagar. I, I'm serious, Abraham. 
you and your wife, Sarah, are going to have a child. And he reaffirms all of these promises to Abraham. And Abraham could handle those promises when he was 74. But now he was, he was 100 years old and his wife was 100 years old. And so when God told Abraham this one more time that he was going to have a son with, with Sarah, he laughed so hard that he fell over in disbelief. The Hebrew text literally says that Abraham flung himself on his face. He laughed so hard. I don't even know how you do that. He flung himself on his face in disbelief. Usually, Sarah is the one who gets thrown under the bus for laughing. Am I right? She laughs a little later on, but she, she laughs after Abraham, and she laughs not nearly as hard. Abraham laughs so hard that he flings himself onto his face in disbelief. What do we do with this? This man of great faith. Is Abraham who we thought he was? Is Abraham who Paul makes him out to be in Romans 4? What, we, what, do, we, what do we do? What do we make of the kind of faith that Abraham actually had? I think it's really good that we deconstruct the faith of Abraham. Because let's really examine it, right? Let's not make this man into something that he was not. Let's not canonize him or idolize him. Let's not make him something he was not. Let's let's thoroughly deconstruct the faith of Abraham. But also, let's reconstruct the faith of Abraham. What do we find in his story of faith? What do we find in the story of this man who had a just truly incredible, almost unbelievable relationship with God? What are the lessons that we should take from this true story of Abraham and his faith? How do we reconstruct it? Well, here's a start. The following are words that you won't find In chapter 4 of Romans, describing Abraham's faith, you will not find the words unshakable. It's not in there. You will not find the word perfect. It's not in there. You will not hear his faith referred to as above reproach. You will not hear his faith referred to as even consistent. Abraham does get praised for his faith in Romans chapter 4 and in other places. And I think that's more than appropriate because when he flexed his faith muscle, a lot of really incredible things happened. Uh, And his story is truly wonderful. But also, notice what Paul does say about Abraham's faith. He says it twice in Romans chapter 4, including in verse 22, if your Bibles are still open. Verse 22, he says that the best moments of Abraham's faith were credited to him as righteousness. Think about those words carefully. They were credited to him as righteousness. Paul doesn't say that Abraham's faith was super-duper righteous. He says that his faith was credited 
to him as righteousness. There was some tricky business going down in the accounting department. Abraham's faith was quite imperfect. And occasionally, it was objectively vile. Occasionally, it was objectively unrighteous. But as God saw Abraham, and as God viewed Abraham's faith, and as God considered him, he counted all of the tallies over here in righteousness. Some tricky accounting, yeah. Not because he deserved to have it counted that way, but because God chose to count it that way. Here's what we begin to see as we reconstruct Abraham's faith. Romans 4 isn't really about the excellence of Abraham's faith. That's not what it's about. It's much more about the graciousness and the generosity of the God who is the author and perfecter of his faith. Here's another little reconstruction of Abraham's faith. If Abraham's God looks down at Abraham and gives a thumbs up, that says a lot more about Abraham's God than it does about Abraham. Here's something for us to think about as we reconstruct our faith. And this is one of the things that that really ties me to the faith. This is something that really, really keeps me rooted in the tradition of Christianity and Christian practices and and Scripture, okay? Uh, All throughout Scripture, one of the most repeated themes in Scripture is that God prefers to work with people who are disappointing. (laughs) I love it. I love it. This is one of the things that keeps me a Christian. God prefers to work with people who are disappointing. Uh, It starts all the way back in Genesis, okay? God chooses to work with the younger sons, with the inferior sons, rather than the older sons who seem to be better and more capable. So he works with Abel instead of Cain, and he works with Isaac instead of Ishmael, and he works with Jacob instead of Esau. In uh, in Exodus, he works with Moses, who was nearly killed as an infant, instead of Aaron, who could speak with eloquence. It's always the younger, undeserving brother who is honored. And this theme goes on and on throughout the New Testament. Think about the disciples of Jesus for, for a minute. Good grief, those guys. And it's not just men. It's women too. It's all of the women in Scripture. In a world where younger and more beautiful women were honored above all others, God works with Sarah over Hagar. And he works with Leah over Rachel. And he works with women like Tamar. Have you read the story of Tamar? He works with people like Rahab. Have you read the story of Rahab? And Tim Keller says, God always works through the boy that nobody wanted and the, uh, the boy that everyone has forgotten and the girl that nobody wanted. The boy that everyone has forgotten and the girl that nobody wanted. Why? 
Why does God prefer to work with people who are disappointing? Because then we can see how faith actually works. The real strength of faith does not come from people like Abraham or from people like us. It comes from God. And the reason that God is so relentlessly consistent when it comes to the whole scope of Scripture is because he doesn't want anyone to think that Christianity is a meritocracy. Oh, what a tragic mistake that would be. To think that we earn the things that we get based on our merit, lest anyone think that we're actually getting what we deserve. The greatness of Abraham's faith doesn't have anything to do with the strength of his faith. It has to do with the greatness and the strength of the God in whom he had faith. And all of his tricky accounting. Abraham was Abraham and he did Abrahamy things his whole life and God counted it to him, uh, to him as righteousness. Why? Because God is God and he does God-like things all the time. So what does a good... Let's, let's reconstruct our faith, okay? What does a good, strong faith look like? A good, strong faith is occasionally disappointing. That's so important for us to know. A good, strong faith is occasionally disappointing. A good, strong faith can suffer setbacks. A good, strong faith can surrender control. Whoa. A good, strong faith is much more a path than it is a place. A good, strong faith is always evolving. Always evolving. Always evolving. A good, strong faith is good and strong because we worship a God who is good and strong. And because him, with all of his tricky accounting, he counts our faith, as feeble as it may be, as good and strong. Somehow, good and strong. Do you feel the latitude here? Do you feel the grace here? That's exactly what you're meant to feel. Who will you write to this week to talk about that? I wonder if this might be a good week for you to reach out to one of our shut-ins. To one of those folks who has their own long story of faith, of ups and downs. I also wonder if this might be just the week for you to write to one of our younger members to encourage them in the faith. What are the things that you wish someone had told you when you were their age? That's a valuable letter to write. 
feel the latitude and the grace that is given to us by our very good God in all of his very tricky accounting. And consider who God might be calling you to reach out to this week. Pray with me. Gracious God, we thank you for your son Jesus, for his death and his resurrection, and for the power that his life has on the ledgers of our souls. And so as we consider the nature of our faith and the way that you view us in our feeble faith, God, may we be encouraged. May we feel that latitude. May we feel that grace. May we feel permission to step forward in our faith, weak as it may be, setbacks as we might have, to endure and to put upon you all of the responsibility and anxiety that we may have. We thank you, God, for your love. We thank you for this path that is ours to walk. And we thank you for this place called Zion where it is leading us. In your holy name we pray. Amen.